And in continuing with our series on Everyday You this morning, we're going to be exploring how you are more than this. You are more than what you do. We're going to start by looking at discovering our identity. Um, I remember a good few years ago, I was staying in a vicarage in London, and um, this was the type of home that had people coming in and out all the time. There was loads of hustle and bustle. Uh, and in the evening, we were all gathered around the table. There were 10 of us around this dinner table. And a man walked in, smartly dressed in a crisp suit, and he announced to everyone around the table, um, I've passed. I'm officially a barrister. And suddenly everyone around the table was applauding and cheering and whooping and standing to clap. And I found myself joining in with a standing ovation and clapping. But I was there thinking, okay, big whoop, so you can make an espresso. <laughs> Turns out a barrister and a barista are two very different things. But a question for you, if others cannot see the value of your work, does that mean you are less important to society? That's an interesting question for me as well as a performer on the side, but we're going to look at that further, starting with our identity within our work, within our jobs. Humans love to categorize. I, I know I do. It's probably why there's such an uptake on the BuzzFeed quizzes like, choose your pizza toppings to find out what your dream job should be. And it's fair to say that the current state of the developed world uh, places people into social um, hierarchy, social hierarchy according to their jobs and income. We all place value on one another's employment or lack thereof. When I worked for a summer at a fish and chip shop, I remember ducking down behind the counter to hide from people that I knew that were strolling past. Why did I do that? Why was I embarrassed? Our identity is so interlaced in our jobs, our relationships, education qualifications, our finances, or our achievements. We have to prove we are busy all the time that we are achieving in our favorite opening line when we meet someone. So, what do you do? What do you do for a living? The world we live in places value in achievements. That's what gives us worth. The Duchess of Sussex, Meghan Markle, who is essentially a real-life princess, in a recent interview talked about how hard she and her husband, Harry, were finding it, saying it's not enough to just survive something, right? Like, that's not the point of life. You've got to thrive. You've got to feel happy. Here are two of the most well-known and privileged people in our world, according to our world. They are royalty. They should have it all. And yet, they are not happy, and they are not thriving. Thankfully, we are called to live differently to the rest of the world. In Jesus, we can discover a revolutionary model of how to live, one where our identity isn't in who we are, but it's in whose we are. Jesus himself lived in complete assurance that God was his Father. God was Abba. You might have heard before that Abba is the equivalent to daddy. Um, but Richard Koken writes in his book, Our Father, that the Aramaic translation of Abba is something more respectful than daddy, but more intimate than father, something like dad. We see Jesus live this understanding out from a really young age and all through his ministry when he is praying and when he is teaching. 
Just in John 17, Jesus prays to God using Abba five times. He gets it. He knows his identity. Looking back at the bit of the Bible that Jesus is teaching us how we should pray. The first four lines of the prayer are, are very similar to a pre-existing prayer called the Kaddish, which Jews of that time would have been familiar with. But instead of just starting with, hallowed be your name, Jesus starts with, our Father. Not my Father. I don't know about you, but if I ever introduce people to my, to my dad, uh, I don't usually say, by the way, this is our dad. That'd be a bit weird, right? I say, this is my dad. Um, but God isn't only Jesus' Father. He's my Father as well. And he's your father. He is, he is our father. Interesting that he chose Abba Father as well. Richard Koken goes on to say, in Jewish culture of Jesus' day, God was addressed with cumulative ascriptions of power and majesty. Jesus could have begun with our creator, our sovereign, or our judge. And yet he begins with our father. Abba, Dad. And as we do our best to walk in line with Jesus as our example, we can discover our identity in God as our Father. I didn't, I didn't fully grasp this until I turned 18. Uh, I had heard it, I had discovered it, but I'd not fully accepted it. And I had been living my life before that almost in a panic, like I had to keep doing more and more, rack up a list of good deeds, almost fight for my place in heaven. When it clicked for me that I didn't have to do any of that, although a sinner, God's grace was enough. I just had to choose to believe in Jesus. Oh, wow, how I wept. It wasn't about me or what I could or needed to do. It was about God, what my Abba Father had done. What a change in perspective. Our Father had paid the ultimate sacrifice through Jesus. That's what we're looking at today, sacrifice on Remembrance Day. Paid that ultimate sacrifice for me, for you. He loves me. He loves you. I am his son. You're his daughter. You're his son. We need reminding of that because... Sometimes our identity slips into worldly things and we lose our perspective. And it's one thing to hear it and to discover it, but we need to accept it and believe it and, and hold on to it. Look at this incredible God. Hallowed be your name. He is greatly revered and honored, and yet he calls us his children. You work what feels like a humdrum job, and yet God sees you. You are more than that. You are more than just what you do. Many Olympic athletes have to face the question of what to do after the medals. Their identity can be so wrapped up in the sport that their transition onto something else is guaranteed to be a very difficult and stressful experience. What about for you and, and your work? When our identity is rooted in the things of this world, what then happens when we experience failure or have relationship breakdown or get rejected or burn out? The foundations of our identity can crumble and we then scramble to define ourselves by something else or by someone else. 
or we just grieve the loss of what we once had. A stable sense of identity cannot fully exist when we place our identity in external worldly things. The world is forever changing. Our surroundings, our situations are constantly changing. But in Hebrews 13 verse 8, it says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God stays the same. And it's evident from the passage that Jesus is talking to a mixed group of religious people. The Jews present would have believed that you had to obey a system of laws in order to connect with God. And the Gentiles who, well, they were kind of treating God like a genie or or a, a lucky charm. But Jesus is clarifying here that it's a relationship that God wants. That's where it starts. Our Father. It's personal. It's intimate. So Jesus is like, stop praying out on the streets in front of everyone like you're showing off. How can that be a two-way conversation if you just keep, keep on babbling, as he says? God knows what we need before we ask. He has our best interest at heart. Have you ever seen those YouTube videos of little kids crying because their parents won't, like, let them touch the stovetop while it's on? And, and it's laughable because the request is so ridiculous. But to the children, it seems so rational. Why can't I touch the stovetop? I want to do that. How could you do this to me? But our loving Father wants what's best for us, even when we don't understand. And the loving act here is giving us what we need instead of what we want. We see in the prayer, give us today our daily bread. As children, we can submit to God knowing that he will provide for our everyday needs. Matthew 7, 9 to 11 says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So Jesus is inviting us to lean on God, trust God as our father, He will provide. There is intimacy within that trust. Like I said, we need reminding of this. Paul repeatedly has to go to different churches later on in the New Testament to tell people to stop going back to the old ways, the ways of the law, the ways of the world. Jesus has changed all of that. I think it's important to um, address the fact that there are probably quite a few people here who are uncomfortable with the word father, perhaps because of past experience or broken relationship. In the book, Father Fiction, Donald Miller very vulnerably talks about growing up without a father and his resentment at the mention of actually needing a dad. But he says, I had to admit I needed one. I had to tell God I wanted him to father me. He goes on to say, our fathers, as in our earthly fathers, aren't God. They can help us understand who God is and how good he is, but they can also do a lot of damage. God is God, regardless. And if we take the Bible as true, it's good to think he is fathering us perfectly. Some of you 
will know that I'm a freelance professional circus aerialist and aerial instructor on the side. Those are some pictures of me. From a young age, I had always answered the question, what do you want to be when you grow up with, I want to be in the circus? That was my answer. And as a young adult, there was a time when I shared that I was going to train in circus school, and someone said to my parents, right in front of me, not joking, well, when's he going to get a real job? A real job. What does that mean? If our primary calling as Christians is to serve and love Jesus, then we can do that job in any form of employment or unemployment, whether in school or retired, regardless of money or status. Our primary calling is above the things of this world. John 1 verse 12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. God doesn't look at us first and foremost and go, well done, she's a doctor. God looks and says, well done, she's my daughter whom I love. God doesn't look at someone and go, well, should have studied harder on your GCSEs, shame you're not at Cambridge. God looks and says, well done, my son. Our Father God looks at me working in that fish and chip shop and says, that's my son whom I love. You have nothing to prove. You don't have to defend yourself, which I find myself doing many times, feeling like I have to prove that I do enough to be worthy of your time or your effort or your relationship. I don't have to. My identity is in Christ. I am a child of God first and foremost. And our Father isn't comparing us to anyone else. No one in this room is more of a child of God than anyone else. I really, I really love this book by Charlie Maxey. It's beautiful and it's full of such simple wisdom. And in it, it says this on one of the pages. What is your best discovery, asks the mole. That I am enough as I am, said the boy. God doesn't compare us to others. God delights in us as his children. I was really struck by the events on Twitter a few weeks ago. Uh, the Bible teacher, Beth Moore, who had been publicly mocked by prominent evangelical leaders, telling her as a woman to go home. This was her response on Twitter. I did not surrender to a calling of man when I was 18 years old. I surrendered to a calling of God. It never occurred to me for a second to not fulfill it. I will follow Jesus and Jesus alone all the way home, and I will see his beautiful face and proclaim, worthy is the lamb. Her identity is in Jesus. She knows God's word. And the more we know about God, the more we know about these truths. We can base our identity on these biblical statements. Your kingdom come, your will be done. They are in line with God's heart, with God's character. And we can discover our identity as a child, but we also need to accept it as truth. So that's great. You might say, I've discovered that God is my father and I've accepted that I'm his child. And that's me done. Well, not quite, because the third step in this is demonstrating your identity. The theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was executed a month before the surrender of Nazi Germany, said, it is a mystery of God's reign over the world that this very cross, 
the sign of Christ's failure in the world can in turn lead to historical success. According to the world standards, Jesus failed. He was killed. But we know that this was part of God's rescue plan. We understand that the role, of, that the role Jesus had through the resurrection in bringing us into relationship with God, our Father. But how does that make a difference in your everyday, for those around you? How are you playing your part in, in this historical success? The passage says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Practically, if we understand that God loves you despite what you do and God loves you despite your failures, then I have to love you despite what you do. And I love you despite your failures. We can do that for one another. We can demonstrate that understanding through the way we encounter and love and forgive other people, not just on a Sunday, every day of the week. I'm going to invite Allie Beard to come up now, and we're going to hear a bit from her. Allie, would you come, would you come up? So, Ali, you are, a, you are a designated clinical officer for SEND, which is the Special Education Needs and Disabilities. You are a trained speech and language therapist, and you have a passion for children and families. But <laughs> could you just tell me, uh, what does your day-to-day -day look like for you in your job or just in life? What, what does it involve? Um, so I'm, I'm employed by the Clinical Commissioning Group um, as a result of the uh, big uh, inspection there was um, in Birmingham just over a year ago about the system of support for kids um, with special educational needs. Um, so I'm employed by health to be a link across between health, education, and social care. So I brought my lanyards, which aren't my identity, um, but just to sort of prove. So I wear these around my neck with NHS and Birmingham City Council all linked together every day. So um, I'm, I, uh, work across all the sort of health providers um, to try and make things better, which is a great, great challenge, as many of you know, because much of SEND touches all of our lives. Yeah, and um, so, like you said, many of us know that there are a lot of challenges happening in Birmingham, especially in the area that you're working in. So yeah. could you just tell me why Birmingham? If, if, if it's a mess and if certain areas yeah. are inadequate, according to Ofsted, surely there are other places that are more appealing. Um, not for me. Um, I, I love the city. I mean, I grew up in London. I'm a complete city girl, although um, I get all my energy from being in the country, actually. Um, I love the diversity. I love the mix. Um, I love the languages, because I'm complete language in background. Um, I love the culture. Um, I love difference. Difference is really difficult. Difference is amazingly beautiful. Um, it's a real challenge. Um, so I'm very committed to Birmingham. So I was my husband, so that's sort of what we do, Birmingham-y things. Great, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus with God as your father. How, how does that make a difference in your work and in your everyday life? And that's always the hard one, isn't it? Um, probably the beginning of the answer is the people that work with me might be better answering that than me. Um, obviously, when I walk into work, I go in as Ali Beard. You know, you could say, 
I'm a public servant with all of this stuff going on, um, but I'm a servant of God. So that's my primary identity. And, you know, you open your, your Outlook diary and, it, and your phone and everything, and it's all Ali Beard and all the things I'm doing today, but I'm doing them really as a servant of God. So it's not really me at work, although that's what it looks like. It's God at work. Mm. Um, and that means, what does it mean? It means saying sorry to my colleagues when I muck up, helping other people reconcile situations when they just want to get all cynical, saying thank you, um, and looking, believing that there is something bigger and greater, that God is at work, even though it's so broken. But, you know, you have to remember that all the time because actually the everyday reality is lots of stuck things, lots of very, very stuck things um, with no money and uh, lots of problems. But God is at work. He really is. Yeah. Well, thank you. So it, it seems like your understanding of your identity as a child of God comes first. Thank you for sharing all that. And um, the final thing is, what's, what's your one prayer for your work? I want to pray for a miracle. I want to pray for a miracle of transformation in Birmingham. Mm. Um, the families need it, everybody in every setting, in early years, in schools, they need it. Um, there's the child population in Birmingham is on the increase massively, massively in the next five years. We're still going to carry on being the youngest city with the most preschoolers, and they haven't even been born yet. So we need to pray for the kids of Birmingham that have been born that aren't, haven't even been born yet and their families. Um, so actually, a massive prayer, a mm. massive, massive prayer. And I, God is at work. He is at work. And, and for stamina for the people in the system that we don't all get overwhelmed with cynicism and lack of money. <laughs> let, me, let me pray for you now. Let's pray okay. for Ali. Our Father, thank you for Ali's identity as your daughter loved and cherished. Thank you for where you've placed her and how you will use her to demonstrate your love to others in the same way that you have demonstrated your love for her. God, we pray for a miracle in this system. We know that you are the God of miracles and we believe that you will move as we see change in this system, as we see more and more people who love and serve you work through this system, God, for redemption, for healing, for connection. God, would you build Ali and her team up? Keep them strong. Keep them faithful. Father, And we pray for every child's life, every child in Birmingham, every child in the schools, every child in nursery, in reception, and those at home, God. They are your children. And as we were led by the children this morning through communion, God, would we be led by the children of this city? Would they grow up to be strong and uh, integral people? And would they know your love more and more every day? In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Ali. Let's give a round of applause. It's fantastic to hear about the different ways that God is using people in their everyday lives and how there's an opportunity to grow God's kingdom through the everyday. I met someone last week, uh, and sure enough, the second question I asked them was, so what do you do? So I stopped myself, and I said, sorry, don't answer that. 
New question, what makes you smile? Bit random, but I learned something about that person that was deeper than just how they earned a living. Something to think about in our conversations with one another in our everyday. As I draw to a close, I've got some practical challenges for us all in regards to our identity with God as our Father. I deliberately chose discovering, accepting, and demonstrating because they acronym as DAD. I'm going to invite Emma and the band to come up now, and as they sing over us, I think that there are some of us here this morning that we need to accept that God is our Father. God is my Father, our Abba, regardless of your experience with your earthly father. And we might need to ask God to father us. He is a perfect dad, and he loves us. And for others here, I love what Ali said about, uh, about like looking for God at work, not me at work. How is God moving in our work through us? Secure in our identity as children of God, how can we be on the lookout for God at work in our everyday lives? And how can we be demonstrating that through our understanding?